don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. The UK High Street would be £249 billion better off if the UK High Street met the needs of disabled peoples and their families. We were joined by Marianne Waite, director of the Valuable 500, which is a global movement backed by the likes of Richard Branson and Omnicom, which is putting disability on the business leadership agenda. She's also been featured in Forbes 30 Under 30, as well as previously winning an IPA Women of Tomorrow and Women of the Future Award. So it goes without saying that she had some really valuable insight to share. Yes, 90% of businesses prioritise diversity, no surprises there. But what you will be shocked to hear is that only 4% focus on making their offerings inclusive of the disabled. Even more shocking is the stat that only 0.6% of people with disabilities appear in ads. This is clearly a problem and something that we need to address. But how do we do so as businesses and brands? This was one of the questions we put to Marianne. We need to stop thinking about it as meeting the needs of a very niche group of people and think about removing barriers for everyone. All this and more, coming up. Why are brands still failing their disabled customers in 2019? They're failing them because they're not meeting their needs. It's really simple. So the Diversish film that we were talking about just very briefly, our valuable 500 Diversish film, highlights the fact that although 90% of companies claim to prioritise diversity, only 4% think about disability. So it's just purely something that people haven't thought about. And I think that comes back to fear and misunderstanding. So when you talk about disability, you kind of think, oh, it might be just someone who uses a wheelchair, you know, that I don't really think about. You know, it belongs in a niche part of society that's got nothing to do with me. Mm. No, it's something to do with charity or the government. We, so many people still think that way. And that kind of stigma around disability is what's breaking us through into the business world. Um, and that's what needs to change. So they're failing disabled people because, uh, like I say, they're not me- meeting their customer needs, but equally not meeting their employment needs as well and their reasonable adjustment needs. Mm. And this is costing businesses. It's costing businesses, it's costing brand reputation and it's costing us socially. So we need that to change. Yeah, definitely. Um, How much of the population is disabled and how much spending power do they have? I know this is one of the um, questions that we asked you when we first Mm. got in touch. Um, But say if you compare that number to the amount of um, advertising that's targeted to Mm -hmm. them, um, have you found that there's quite a difference? Yeah, so in the UK, I think it's something like 13 million disabled people have got a disability. Mm. But what's interesting is that it's important to focus not just on people with disabilities, but their friends and family members. So when you take into account those family members and the ageing population and parents who are maybe getting older, disability is something that touches about 53% of people. And that doesn't take into account situational disabilities or temporary disabilities like we talked a little bit about kind of, you know, back pain or, you know, inflammation pain that might kind of flare up at one point or another. Mm. Temporary disabilities such as breaking a leg or being pregnant. Um, So, you know, it's something that is the one minority that we will all find ourselves being a part of at some point in life. And yet it's the one minority that people tend to not focus on. And so what I find really interesting from a kind of business perspective is that people think, oh, well, it's it affects such a small amount of people. We're not going to bother thinking about it. Yeah. But if it affects 
30 million people in the UK, that's roughly between maybe 18 to 20% of the UK population. I think. Totally. Yeah. Um, So it affects 13 million people and brands don't think that that's a viable audience. It's really interesting when they do think that vegans are a viable audience Mm. and that accounts for maybe 100 to 200,000 people in the UK. Yeah. So how is that possible? Why is it that there's this huge kind of difference in how we approach the two audiences? Yeah. Um, And when we think about the business benefits and the potential kind of impact on the bottom line, from a global perspective, it's an emerging market the size of China. Uh, The return on disability report estimated that it's worth about $8 trillion globally. Um, And when you think about the UK again, with that market, uh, the government cited that the UK high street would be £249 billion better off if the UK high street met the needs of disabled peoples and their families. So um, it's it's just that people have got this residual stigma um, and don't want to think about it. But actually, if those that do are the highest value organisations. Yeah, definitely. So they're missing we've, a trick. Um, we've, we've got a quote here from a, a disabled model called Sharon Murray, yes. who said that if you judge the world on advertising, you wouldn't know that disabled people existed. Yeah. Um, so like, why why is it, do you think, that brands just, just aren't talking about it? Because you, like you've pointed out, the benefits are there for them. It's fear. It's totally fear and a lack of awareness. So it, I think in one of our diverse-ish activist films, uh, there's a guy called Adam Pearson, who's a television pre- presenter, highly uh, intelligent guy who makes the point that although um, 0.6% of advertisements feature disabled people, 100% of disabled people spend money. So it's really interesting, again, that uh, if you were to kind of go, like like Sharon says, on on advertising, you wouldn't necessarily think that disability is as prevalent as it is. Um, And when you speak to different agencies and broadcasters, it is the fear They think, well, we tried to include disability once and it didn't go down so well or it was received negatively. Mm. And so we're just not going to bother. And so we need to break this cycle of fear to kind of help people find it easier to represent the needs of disabled people. Um, And we need to uh, just make sure that it is helpful to the lives of disabled people. So moving away from tokenism and, you know, the superficial and inspirational portrayals of it and just thinking about it the same way we would think about race or gender. Um, It's really interesting when people kind of raise this question of, well, is it even worth it, really? Disabled people? Is it worth meeting that? (laughs) The needs of that one guy in a wheelchair? And... Uh, that's kind of, you know, like I say, based on ignorance. But when you, when it comes back to how worthwhile it is, you wouldn't question how worthwhile it is thinking about race issues or thinking about LBGTQ. So why are we still having to mm-hmm. push the argument for mm-hmm. this other audience that is potentially much larger? Yeah, absolutely. So I was what, just before this po- podcast, I was watching an advert, uh, obviously Pride at the moment, yeah. and uh, saw an advert on Instagram from Ariel, I think it was. And it yes. was Duncan from Blue speaking about coming out and whatnot. I'm interested to know, because again, you say, you know, you, you, you have to think to yourself, how many adverts do you see with mm-hmm. disabled people? Now, there's a thin line, I know, between cause marketing and it just, be, you know, just becoming an inclusive advert with, mm-hmm. with people from all walks of life. And so where does that line sort of stand? And is the brand sort of positioned to default to cause marketing yes. and say, look at this terrible thing, let's you know sort it out? Yeah, I think on the whole, people do give themselves a pat on the back when they include disabled people in their advertising campaigns because usually it is a bit inspirational. It is a bit of a tearjerker. 
And again, when you think, when you relate that back to gender and race, if, if it was the same thing featuring a black person in an advert just as a cause marketing thing, mm. we would be outraged. We would be absolutely yeah, like, outraged. Do you want a gold medal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if they, so I think we talked previously about the, the Paralympics and the Maltesers campaign. Yeah. And people still talk about the Maltesers campaign, yeah. which was incredible and they saw an uplift in sales so it was impactful in so many different mm. ways not least because it was also an authentic representation of of disability mm. but that was three years ago yeah that was three years ago yeah, imagine if, if i said to you well we included a, a woman in her advert three years ago so <laughs> what more do you want yeah it's like that it, box has been ticked totally. next next please and so we're so still far behind in our in our perception of disability yeah that um that Maltesers advert though it did garner a bit of backlash because some people thought that um like while it was like it was like witty and it was like relatable and, and like it, it was quite wholesome but a lot of people said it was because the adverts focused on um the disabled person's like characteristics mm -hmm. and like they focused on the disability yeah and, like you said it wasn't incidental it, it is true there have been lots of different criticisms of it however and I think, speaking as someone who used to be quite critical of different representations of disability, I've now got to the point where we just got to encourage people to do it if it is perceived as helpful. And I think it was helpful because it kind of married up disability and humour. <clears throat> I think there's a journey we have to go on. Everyone, up, everyone talks about journeys. <laughs> get your passports ready. But there is a journey we're going to have to go on between getting to where we want to get to, which is comfortable incidental representation that is proportional to the rep to the population. So 20% of mm. advertisements, or there should be, you know, 20% of people in advertisements should have a disability. But until we get there, we're going to have to experiment with what will help us get there and yeah. what people will be comfortable with. So I think the fact that Maltesers did something that was so brave, and it's when you think about it as well, when that competition from Channel 4 came out for media spend a couple of years ago, I think they shortlisted, they had a couple of hundred submissions and they shortlisted about between 10 and 20 different brands who wanted to portray disability in order to kind of win that competition. What I want to know is what happened to all of those submissions that didn't win why couldn't they have just produced those adverts anyway? Mm. And I think it is because you need, unfortunately, or we, we needed three years ago, that incentive to help push people over that fear barrier in order to get this right. Yeah. So speaking really honestly, when we did the diverse-ish videos at Christmas for Valuable 500, we, we sat around in a room and we kind of thought, okay, well, we do need to make sure that we are getting the right insights in the room up front. We have the right... Um, talent behind the camera representing disabled audiences because um, the one pitfall of people in this industry is they make assumptions based on the needs of that user group yeah. um, and actually the way to avoid that is to defer to the expertise, knowledge and experience of disabled people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really interesting even though the team that we had were producing these diverse-ish films we still had to sense check it with lots of people to make sure that we were not missing the needs of any group. Mm. Um, so we, we understand that there is a lot of risks. There is a certain amount of risk involved in doing something like this, especially if you don't have any experience mm. in disability. But I think that now we're getting to a point where there are no real excuses because we've managed to do it for other groups and we know what is involved now with representing the needs of different groups. And that is making sure that you have the right insight. So 
I think we need more. It's almost like a bit of a vicious circle because in order to break the fear, we need to expose people to disability. Mm. But you need people brave enough to do that through media and advertising and broadcasting yeah. in order to break the chain. So uh, we just need more people to be as brave as mm. people like Michelle Oliver at Mars to, to do these things. Is it is it bad, though, that we're considering inclusivity a risk? Because I know we likened yes. it to cause marketing earlier. Um, and we've seen a lot of cause marketing campaigns backfire because they've missed the marker. Totally. And, and these days, even if a campaign means well, there is going to be a significant amount of backlash. Mm. If you're if you're tackling any sensitive topic, you, you have to expect that there is going to be some kind of pushback. Um, but why, why is inclusivity a risk? Well, it's not. And I think it's the same as thinking, well, including people of colour or, or women in your advertising campaign, is that not a risk? Again, we wouldn't say that. It would yeah. be absolutely outrageous to say that. The only risk is knowing that you're, you as a brand are not communicating to that 20% of the population that has these requirements. So the risk isn't doing it. The risk is not doing it. Mm. Um, uh, so you, can, you, you made a point just then before you asked that about cause marketing. And we were talking a little bit about yeah. that. I think actually the big risk is viewing this as cause marketing. Mm. Remove that entirely. This isn't about CSR. This is about good consumer need and good consumer sense. Um, and the joy and beauty of inclusive design is that we need to stop thinking about it as meeting the needs of a very niche group of people and think about removing barriers for everyone. Mm. So representation is a big part of this, making sure we're seeing disability and seeing disabled mm. people and breaking social stigma but also seeing this as a way of including everyone. Yeah. So if I asked you guys, do you use assistive products? What would you say? Probably not, but it's probably ignorant speaking. No, not ignorant. Exactly, no, probably probably not. But do you no. use glasses or sunglasses? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, I have glasses. Text messaging. Of course, Revolving yes. doors, escalators. When you think about these everyday things that make our lives easier, they're inspired by necessity and yeah. and, and disability in mm. some sense. So when you think about the wider benefits of inclusion, that's where brands should really get excited. Yeah. So if Apple are doing it, Apple don't see this as a risk. One of the highest value brands in the world. So no one else should either. Yeah, they, either. they see this as just really good user centricity, really good customer experience and that's simply all it is mm. what what would your advice be then to people um like to to our company because we work very heavily in what's well, just digital marketing primarily mm. social media um but we've got a stat here that says 27 percent of disabled adults don't know how to use the internet mm. so what then makes a disability friendly digital marketing campaign so I think it totally depends and it would be wrong for me to assume the best course of action because what you should do is get a bit of a focus group going with people who do have disabilities who would be interested in this mm. so you've got to start from the audience need right and if a digital marketing campaign is the right way to target these people great if we need a secondary means of targeting them through traditional press ads printed communications that's another thing television mm. radio whatever so i think first of all you've got to think about the marketing mix and spectrum according to the different needs and if digital marketing is one strand of that how can you like i say remove barriers for as many people as possible mm. so if you're thinking about what makes an inclusive marketing campaign number one is who within your team can, has the talent to help you 
do that. Mm. So how many people have you hired or what's the recruitment process like for hiring disabled talent as mm. an agency? That's a big one because, you know, this idea of nothing about us without us, it would mm. be good to have someone who's got this expertise and at least has... Um, the knowledge that we need to flag these things yeah, at the beginning of the creative process. Yeah. Uh, but then thinking about, again, wider accessibility needs like captioning, digital content, audio description, um, thinking about the channels that you mm. use. And if you're talking about social media, the really exciting thing about disability and social media is how social media as a vehicle has given such a strong voice to people who previously couldn't communicate or weren't mm. able to be heard, weren't able to get out there physically and contribute or participate. So Facebook and Twitter and different channels have been part of the reason uh, why disability inclusion has gained so much traction because suddenly people are able to find their voice mm. and get involved. Mm. Um, so thinking about your channels, thinking about the type of content, who you're representing in the content, how digestible is it? Um, there are loads of different ways that you can remove the barriers for actually what you produce and how you produce it. But the key is getting that insight and getting the right prompts at the beginning to be able to flag or, you know, uh, raise any challenges. Yeah. Things like alt text, we don't really think about it, but in any Instagram post, we should be having alt text mm. yeah. to mm. describe different images. And then it could be something as simple as subtitling a video. But I think yeah. I think you're 100 percent right. Like it starts with representation in the room. This 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 is what I'm keen to know as well because it's only just sort of come up in this conversation. But obviously, uh, there's a plethora of disabilities. And I think many of us would, would sort of, you know, we'd hate to admit it, but you are conditioned to sort of see disability as uh, lack of use of limbs yeah. or uh, wheelchairs. But it's rare that you'll see a, a blind person on TV, say, yeah. unless it's for a guide dog charity. Exactly. How do brands approach that in a way that's more authentic? So it's not just, OK, you know. A, dis a disabled person or oh, a wheelchair. Yeah. Is it's so I think, again, it comes back to the insights that they have in the room. So by if they try to think, OK, well, guys, if you've got a room full of non-disabled people making decisions about how to represent disability, they're only going to get it wrong because it will mm. be based on assumptions. Whereas if you work with a charity or an organisation such as Open Inclusion or the Research Institute of Disabled Consumers that have got panels of experts that can feed into this, that's where you get quite innovative and refreshing views and perceptions of how to portray disability. There are six main impairment groups that you could get bogged down in. And I think you're, you're right, because you think, oh, God, well, we've got a wheelchair user. What do we think about someone who's got vision impairments? And, oh, gosh, we're not thinking about mm -hmm. hearing impairments. Mm -hmm. um, that's, remember, captioning, that's what I was going to oh. say. So if you've got someone who's got a hearing impairment, who needs captioning, you might think, OK, well, we're putting a lot of effort into captioning for this small group of people that might not be able to hear. Actually, I was up here watching a video on the train because I didn't have my, I've lost my Bluetooth earphones, which has been a very distressing oh, part no. of my week. <laughs> I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear the content. So I needed the captioning to be able to watch it in public. Oh. Um, and so again, it's just about how one specific need can make things better for everyone. Oh. And so coming back to your point about how you then categorise, um, there's a really good book called Mismatch by Kat Holmes, who works at Google in inclusive design. And she talks about the mismatched interactions between environments and users. So what she says is, don't worry too much about every single type of disability because you're never gonna be able to capture mm, them all. If you actually, if you test across a, a good group or a wide variety of users, you'll be able to establish who you're excluding. And that's what you want to know. Is who are you excluding? Is it older people? Is it people with hearing impairments? Is it, you know, people with dexterity issues, whatever? 
if you figure out who you're excluding, you can then workshop how to innovate around that mm. and then find. So you figure out who you're excluding, people with hearing impairments. Mm. How do we fix that? Captioning. Actually, wider benefit for everyone, not just people with hearing impairments, because yeah, we're, we're say, making that like, stuff oh, accessible. Like good design is meant to be just simple, isn't it? And, right. and that, would, that would benefit everyone. So inclusive design is just good design. And that's why when you ask a disabled person what their favourite brand is, they say Apple. Because it's not about kind of a lovely cause marketing thing that they've done a lovely product mm. for disabled people. Mm. It's just super slick design mm. that removes barriers of interactions. Yeah, definitely. That's all it is. Like, they can, like, en- like anyone can use an iPhone. That's why like, my mum can get yeah. on with it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I, th- I think for, for me, it's a case of, I've come back to this point as well, of, you know, the visual side of it, the people who appear in adverts. And, the, you know, I think each of us has probably been like, okay, there's the black person mm-hmm. in the advert, there's the yeah. oriental person dick, in the advert, there's dick. the, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting point. Of, you know, how do we get from mm. a point of that not happening? And also... Keen to know from your thoughts, how far do you think we are away from what you deem as positive yeah. representation? Are we are we further than we think, or are we? No, getting there? I still. Th- it's hard because, on the one hand, things have never been better. Because, and I know we talked about this, I think, uh, last time we spoke uh, about the Paralympics and everyone talks about how wonderful the Paralympics yeah. was. But again, that was seven years ago, man. That was 2012. How sad is that? footnote and that we keep going back to, isn't I, it? That that is I can't help but think as well that not every, not every disabled person's a Paralympian. Like, they are amazing and inspiring, but that's, like, right. that's exactly. not related. So it also to, reinforces to stereotypes well. because yeah. I, I kind of, we, we talk about this a lot, about this whole idea that anything is possible and, you know, if you work with disabled people you real you realize that life can be limitless and we put the limits on ourselves i do think i, I can't swear but do you think that's a load of rubbish because you can swear my sister has got like i say very profound cerebral palsy and she just isn't able and no amount of positive inspirational thinking is going to make her any more able that she than she physically or, or cognitively yeah. is able to be so I do also think we need a bit of refreshing candor and honesty around the spectrum mm. of disability yeah. because some people are are kind of going to be less able than others yeah. um, and not everyone is a superhero and that's yeah, it's fine. a little bit pandering it's, sometimes I think like you don't yeah. have to sugarcoat something to make it like palatable exactly yeah, exactly and before you know it like you know you, you, get, you don't want to start a group that's, you know it's a bit like saying that Every woman should be a CEO. Well, yeah, no, yeah, actually, yeah. it's totally fine. It's, you yeah, know, it's like, what if you the, want to just work in a shop? That's fine too. It's like the whole kind of period stereotypes of if you're on your period, you can do anything. Like you can no. do tennis. Like I don't want to do tennis on your ass. I don't want to play tennis. <laughs> yeah, right exactly. That's so annoying. So I, so I think that although we're getting there, um, we're still kind of in these little buckets of stereotype. And um, again, to your point, if it's 20% of the population, we're not seeing that represented mm-hmm. and we aren't doing enough. Um, and I think at the moment, that's why what we're doing as a Valuable 500 is so important is because people still see it as a charity, a cause or a governmental issue and not enough people are seeing the wider, like I say, what they're doing with vegans, they should be doing mm. <laughs> with people with disabilities yeah. at least, um, innovating to meet these needs. And the fact that, like I say, only 4% of businesses are considering this is just not good enough. It's such a small number. It's Especially such what was that compared number. to 90% for like race and gender? Yeah. So they'll say that dis- diversity is important, but actually disability is still um, uh, underrepresented. And like I say, that's 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 not good enough when you think that it touches 53% of people. So 
We're getting there very slowly, but I think it will make a real difference. So we're talking to some luxury brands at the moment about joining the Valuable 500. And I think once you have these big leaders leaning in to say this is important. Mm. So Mm. Paul Polman helped us set this up. Richard Branson has been supporting us from the beginning. And we need these leaders to lean in and say, ah, yes, we see it. We totally see the value in this. Yeah, and then the rest will At follow. Amazon, this is just about customer centricity and making things easier for everyone. And, you know, if we kind of, if we're able to kind of get the likes of Kering or Prada or Burberry to start thinking about this too, the rest will follow. So that's why we're looking for 500 global brands to do this, because we think that critical mass will create the trend and the turning point, mm. the same way sustainability has. So for me, this is totally the same journey as sustainability in that 25, 30 years ago, it was cause marketing, it was CSR. Aren't we great? Mm. We recycle mm. our paper. Um, and it was kind of became greenwashing, where people kind of wanted to look like they were being sustainable without actually doing it and ingraining it into their business strategy. And now consumer expectation is such that brands have to have a yeah, sustainability policy in order, order to compete. Well, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. totally. So I think it's hopefully going to go the same way with with inclusivity because I think at the moment we're still at that purple washing phase where, you know, oh, well, we used a model of Down syndrome in our marketing campaign. Mm. That's great. It's mm. a great start. But how are you using people with Down syndrome in your design and research mm-hmm. and creating products that help them and looking at your tone of voice so it's super easy for everyone to understand. I think we've um, nailed that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great too because the the national reading age, I think, is something nine years old, I think it is. Yeah. 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 So again, it's not yeah. about dyslexia or disability. It's just that's about... the age that you always say about content. the sun. The sun newspaper sun writes for an age of like age eight, of six, yeah. six. Like wow. Yeah. So. yeah. But yeah, just like making it super be. accessible to everyone. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. It's very hard to do, uh, you know, it right is. for a six-year-old um, <laughs> when you're talking yeah. about Brexit politics and all sorts, but I digress. But that's why um, I love BuzzFeed because BuzzFeed is so, they take things like politics and, and you know, other topics that potentially could be seen as impenetrable and make it really digestible yeah, and super yeah. easy and super entertaining. Yeah. And that's why it's got such mass appeal. Yeah. I think that's what you need, isn't it? The, the, that element of entertainment as well and... It's, it's made me think as well that this is you what you're doing with the Valuable 500. This is clearly reflective of the sort of, one, the power brands have to impact culture. Yep. But two, it seems to me, and this is a theme that always comes up, the sort of reliance that we have on brands now for them to sort of be bellwethers and to kind of, totally. you know, talk about matters that are close to us. Because you'll get a certain generation who say, oh, you know, this is all crap you know we don't want to love brands and them to be a massive part of our lives but i think for a lot of millennials gen z you yeah, know even above are. that it's oh. brands play a massive part in your day-to-day construct oh, don't they? 100% i think it's been so i've been working in branding for the last 12 years and it's been fascinating to see how the consumer relationship with brands has evolved to almost um, I don't know if either of you have read Cloud Atlas. It's a great book um, by David Mitchell. It's a film um, with Tom Hanks in it, which pound. I, I, I recognise the name. I love it. <laughs> but Rotten Tomatoes did not love it. Anyway, there's this one section where they kind of look to the future. It's like, you know, 500 years in the future and they have this catechism around the consumer. And it's this idea that consumerism is almost like a religion. So honour thy consumer. And it's kind of a, a interesting because the way we see the relationship with brands at the moment is that People are starting to turn to brands for, you know, ethical, moral, um, you know, and, and other kind of social decisions and, and, and bearings mm. um, because, you know, re- religion is on the decline. We, we live in a secular world and I think that that social role of brands is increasing and so they 
they do need to think about how they are representing mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. and how they are meeting ethical needs beyond just providing good products and services, which is why they are kind of so into inclusion and diversity and thinking about supporting things like Pride. It's Pride Month at the moment and yeah. everyone's doing amazing stuff mm. because it's so important to represent the lives of the people that you're you're selling to. They're strangely trustworthy, though we always speak about advertising mistrust and maybe it's the mistrust of buying stuff, but you can kind of mm. I think that's that's such an interesting point though you're right like we really look to to brands because consumerism is so like ingrained in yeah. how mm. we live now like mm. like you said things like like religion and the church aren't as prominent as they would have mm. been like even 50 years ago even like well give it up on looking to the government for sadly well, 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 <laughs> well exactly and the thing is it's exciting for me working in branding is that so many of these businesses have got more scale more resource more reach than many governments Mm. and that and charities as well sadly oh totally charity alone cannot tackle this whatsoever so it has to be that charity is great for providing the right insights and plugging in their knowledge but in terms of making change with pace and scale you need like the money and the manpower it's gotta come from business it's gotta come from business same way sustainability is never gonna improve or environmentalism is never gonna be you know properly addressed if you leave it to government it has to be the people that are, you know, yeah, making that impact on the world and its business. 100%, yeah. I'm just trying to think of everyday culture as well because we, uh, you know, we touched on it a bit and we, we just before this podcast we were speaking about BBC show years yes. and years and uh, I think I made the point that there's uh, um, a wheelchair user in there and, uh, you know, we were talking about this idea of a character... Uh, it being an incidental matter, not yes. something they've thrown to. And are we starting to see more of that? And, and how would you explain that sort of idea of, you know, incidental representation, I suppose? Right uh, I think we are. I think we are. But at the same time, I think I'm struggling to think of anyone beyond that character, Clarissa, from Silent Witness. I think there's another woman who is a wheelchair user in EastEnders, I believe. I don't watch mm. it. But again, I think she's just kind of like, you know, a great character that happens to have a disability. But again, it's not... We're still, I think expected to give praise for basic things like say River Island did a clothing campaign recently and they used disabled people in their advertising campaign or in their print ads and it went to press and aren't we wonderful for doing this but again apply that logic to race if you're like isn't it great we've included black people in our advertising campaign you'd be like (laughs) let's not be drawing attention to the fact that you've only just been doing that so (laughs) it's really hard because I still think people aren't pitching it in the right way the best example I saw was on the John Lewis website recently they they rebranded to John Lewis and Partners and um they had this gorgeous new look and feel on the website. And when you scroll down to the personal shopping section, they had a woman, a person of short stature is one of the personal shoppers. Not, oh, you know, aren't we wonderful for including this person mm-hmm. in our imagery, which is, this is one of the people that works there. Yeah. She happens to have a disability. Then uh, on Not on the High Street as well, I was scrolling through looking for a gift for one of the <laughs> many weddings, wedding season. Ah! <laughs> Desperately trying to find gifts. And I saw this little baby grow um, and the baby in the picture had a cleft palate. Again, no kind of other explanation. It was just an incidental image. Mm. It was gorgeous. Mm. And so you're starting to see it more and more, but I can't wait for it to be a bit more mainstream and to have 
more examples of mm. it. I've seen some positive things with the stores. You know, um, things like those quiet experiences where people yes. can go in after hours and it's like not as loud and, and mm. busy and it's just mm. more like, you know, so people can get their shopping done in environments that would like overwhelm them normally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So um, autism hour and re rela yeah. or relaxed shopping yeah. hour, if yeah. you want to call it. Again, these things are excellent. What we want to see is them being scaled. So quite often you'll hear a press story about how they're doing it in one store or perhaps they're doing it for one store on one day <laughs> at one point in the year. Mm. What you want is regularity and scale. So making sure that it's once a week in every store across every, yeah. so that everyone yeah, not can like kind of benefit. Once every mm. two years. Not just a PR stunt. Um, I want to touch really briefly on influencer marketing. Because I know yes. we mentioned earlier that you said social media has actually been a really good platform for bringing awareness yeah. to people with disabilities. And we've seen like, well, I see a lot personally on Instagram, like people starting movements and sharing their own stories. Have you noticed um, like positive uplift from uh, any disabled influencers or like uh, the conversation coming into influencer marketing? Well, I think that we again, inf social media has given a platform to people that perhaps historically wouldn't have gained the traction that they would have done going through kind of traditional traditional channels. So people like Sinead Burke, who you might have heard of, is, is an amazing woman. Um, she's from Ireland. She's, I think, just completed a PhD. She's big in the fashion world. And she's, again, a person of short stature, or as they're called in Ireland, a little person. And she is making amazing progress in the world of fashion that is notorious for not thinking about the imperfect, which cracks me up as well, because they talk about couture and bespoke. Adaptive clothing is a very definition, mm. very definition of that. But Sinead is now kind of writing for Vogue. Was it the Met Ball? She's everywhere, and it was kind of social media that was able to give her a platform to talk about her work and her views. So I think it's amazing the control and the voice social media can give influencers mm. in order to do this, and the power of those followings to prove that this is something that people want to hear more of. So people yeah, like Shannon Murray. Um, uh, and I can't remember the name of the guy who's just done special on Netflix. I'm not sure. It'll bother me. I can't remember his name. But that's he's he's a kind of a, a disabled activist mm -hmm. um, who's gay, I think. And so I think, again, it's just an amazing channel for, for amplifying these different perspectives yeah. that we otherwise wouldn't be hearing about. It just seems very normal to all of us, doesn't it? Oh, like yeah. you know, not the not the need to overcomplicate. And I was just thinking as well, stuff like the you know subtitles on videos. It's all bit for different reasons, but that's something that is quite prevalent on social as well, yeah, isn't definitely. it? Yeah, so I think maybe like, it like, like a, um, like leveraging influencers for brands as well. It's like if they are scared of like taking a risk mm, or like stepping mm. on toes or or what have you, going through that authentic avenue of just working with people who you know live these mm -hmm. experiences mm. and know them better than a brand ever could is it seems. Like a really like like you're right. There's no excuse not to be doing that. Well, exactly. That's the thing. I take this opportunity to congratulate you on and an available 500 on winning the can line as well. Ah, thanks so mm. much. Fabulous yeah. news. We very very really good. Excited. Yeah, we were really excited. Were you saying this was uh, definitely the, the matter of inclusivity and disability was more on the table at can line this year? Yeah, so I wasn't at the event, but we had a, a number of people from the Omnicom agencies that worked on the Valuable 500, Interbrand, AMV, BBDO, who were at Cannes. They said that they've never heard more people talking about inclusion. Mm. And there are a couple of other uh, campaigns that were re relating to disability that also were kind of shortlisted. So definitely people are starting to, to kind of, you know, pick this up and run with it, especially in the creative world, as we know, it's so mm. important because these agencies 
help influence the brands. Um, and so we need the agencies and the creative teams to be to be thinking about this so that they can steer these organisations in the right direction. Yeah, it's really positive. I, I do wonder, though, with events like Cannes, um, like you touched on the whole veganism thing before and the fact that uh, brands are putting more resource into reaching vegans yeah. than the disabled community. But do you ever do you ever worry, like, is there a fear that it's, uh, like, considered a movement? Like, every year at Cannes, there's a different trend that people are focusing yeah. on and it can't be something that should be, like, picked up and then put back down and then they're on to the next thing. Like, it has to well, remain. Well, our... our Valuable 500 founder Caroline Casey often talks about the end of a la carte inclusion because people do want to pick things. And in the Diverse mm. film, um, we see the interviewer asking, you know, our fake businesses when they're going to, what year are they going to think about disability? Because it seems there's always like a theme every year. Yeah. And people kind of are saying, well, mindfulness, and then we're going to think about ice caps, and then we're going to think about disability. Yeah, it's like, and again, like being a good person is like trendy, like right. it shouldn't be. And so that's why I tend to try to remove this from D&I conversations and just put it into business strategy and user experience mm. because you wouldn't think, oh, well, we're going to think about user experience in the next five years. You don't. You kind of put it's this at the heart thing, of your band because yeah. you need to make sure that you are meeting the needs of as many consumers as possible for as long as possible. Mm. Um, and as you were talking about captioning, this comes back to language as well. So language barriers have got nothing to do with disability, but mm. um, my flatmate uh, watches, she has problems um, with, well, she has problems kind of understanding or hearing things, but we've watched programs with friends of ours from different countries as well. And they will watch uh, Netflix with the captions on just to help with language barriers. Mm. So again, it's nothing to do with necessarily just people who've got disabilities, mm. but, but other mm -hmm. kind of needs as well yeah I'm, definitely I'm in, well I'm interested to see how much progress is made and, and thanks for the great work that you've been doing mm. I imagine I've, I imagine a lot of people will feel that way so we'll wrap it up there thank, thank you thank you for coming on yeah thank Brilliant. you so much thank you Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 